For everything you want to know about real estate, it's time to take action. Schedule today. Ron and Don sit down.com is the way. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 148 of the Ron and Don Show, and he's Ron and I'm Don. That's why we call it the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the shores of South Lake Union for the Les Schwab Studios, and Ron, we have some very special guests coming up. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. We have a brand new website. We are pumped about you guys. Yeah, it's Ron and Don, sitdown.com. Uh, there's a lot of people right now that are looking, looking at, uh, it's an election year. I was actually just talking to Charlie. Also there, uh, Charlie's a dog. Uh, there, It's an election year. There is uh, a lot of uh, things happening in employment and changes in education and just the whole economy as we know it is sort of making some moves and sort of thinking, maybe it's a good time for me to sell a house. Maybe it's a good time to buy a house because interest rates are historically low, almost as low as humanly possible. And so th- there's uh, many people thinking real estate is a good move for them right now. We are here for you. So the journey for you could start at ronandonsitdown.com. You can see what other clients have experienced, look at some of our stories, see what we're all about, and then just click that little button right there. It says uh, sit down, give us your info, and we will schedule a Zoom with you uh, to start things Real quick, off. what do you say to people? Because we say live from the short South Lake Union. I live in Queen Anne. You're in South Lake Union. And so people are like, hey, man, I'm down in Puyallup, or I'm up in Everett, or you know, I'm in Olympia. How could you guys help me, right? Yeah, we will go. If you can hear our voice in the state of Washington, we'll go there uh, and, and help you out, except for Sultan. I said this last time. Yeah. Sultan, you need to add a lane. This isn't rocket surgery. Right. You need another lane both ways. I don't know what you guys are thinking. So anywhere but Sultan. You've soured on Sultan. Sultan, I'm, do- I'm done with Sultan. What about startup? Startup, I'm okay with. You going to go to Forks? Uh, you know what? I will figure out a way to help you in Forks. <laughs> we may have to take a plane ride to Forks. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be me personally, but I will figure out a way to help you. Yeah. Hey, coming up, you guys, this is a really important story. And on Trusted Radio from time to time, uh, you heard that we would have Ann Bremner on. Uh, and a lot of times she doesn't get the credit that she deserves. She's a Stanford-educated trial attorney. There's not a lot of folks that are wired like she is. Most attorneys are chasing money. She is chasing justice. And there have been so many cases. In fact, I'll mention a few uh, coming up here when Ann joins us. So many cases that she has been involved in in the Pacific Northwest. She's extraordinary, isn't she? She is. In this case, unfortunately, we have been embroiled with for over a decade now, or going on a decade. And it is the, the, a series of unfortunate, tragic events that all started with the murder of Susan Cox. She married, unfortunately, married a guy named Stephen Powell. Uh, this has been highly publicized. Well, actually, Josh Powell, Stephen Powell's the... Oh, the, Josh Powell. She Stephen married Powell's Josh the grand, Powell. The grandfather. Yeah, and he's, he comes into play in a while, so I misspoke. Freudian slipped there in more ways than one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Josh Powell uh, turned out to, I believe, murder his wife uh, in Utah, and then fled to of the greatest places, Stephen Powell's house, who turned out to be a convicted voyeur and a child pornographer. Yeah, there's something in Washington State. Other states have this too. It drives me nuts. It's called reunification. And even if you're a dirtbag parent, uh, what the state of Washington will try to do is they will try to reunite you with your child no matter what. So here's a guy who 
when you go to Utah? They found Susan's blood in his carpet. Uh, he said that he was camping with the boys when it was eight degrees out. I'm about to go camping with my son. If it's eight degrees out, I got news for you. We're not going camping. Also, they uh, looked at his GPS, and it seems like he had stopped on some bridges, some overpasses, some mining shafts, some other places to maybe dispose of something. And then the mystery is Stephen, the dad who was living here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he somehow, we believe, shows up in Utah around that time, too. And Stephen now is no longer with us. He went to prison. You're not going to believe what he went to prison for. It's all connected to this case. So here we are. In the middle of COVID, this case starts. And Bremner somehow is able to hold it together with this jury. And Well, let's say who the case is. The case is with the, the Cox grandparents so the grandparents of charlie and brayden who were murdered by their father it's against them versus the state of washington child protective services in the name child protective services yeah and maybe the biggest award ever in the state of washington when it comes to damages and certainly when it comes to dc d dshs uh a 98 million dollar award from this jury now what's the family going to do with 98 million dollars we come back Anne is here. She knows everything there is to know about this case. You're going to hear some things you've never heard before. And also, you're going to hear about this amazing family who now has $98 million. And what are they going to do with it? It's kind of a beautiful thing, you guys. He's Ron. I'm Don. We will see you on the other side of this. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. <laughs> when it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected. And I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential. And Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were, were going to provide their services were, it just made it easy. It was a lay down. Ron and Don seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. <laughs> the weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, we did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem. Never felt rushed always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. It did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com.
You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> All right, you guys, welcome back to episode uh, 148. And you have heard from time to time on the Ron and Don show over the last 15 years on Terrestrial Radio, also on this podcast, that any time there is something, some kind of life event, some kind of trauma that this community is going through, a lot of people reach out to an attorney and to a superhuman by the name of Ann Bremner. In fact, right now, the city of Seattle is really going through it. Chief Best is really going through it. Guess who's helping us go through this? Guess who's helping Chief Best? Guess who's Chief Best's best attorney? That's Ann Bremner, you guys. Guess who I turned to a number of years ago when someone stole my dog? <laughs> I turned to Ann Fremner. And in fact, on episode 146, we just told you about Coach Joey Thomas. His kids were the first ones in the nation to take a knee under Friday Night Lights. The kids wanted to take a knee. The cheer staff wanted to take a knee. The folks up in the stand wanted to take a knee. So they took a knee. Joey said, go for it. It was on the front page of the USA Today. And that happened on a Friday. Guess what happened on Monday? The district came after him, and he felt like the district was going to fire him. Joey called me, and guess who I called? I called superstar (laughs) Ann Bremner. She joins us right now on the Ron and Don Show. And, Ron, this is a very important case. And, Ron, any superstar attorney is going to have superstar attorneys that work around them and support them, right? So we have two special guests today. Yeah, we do. Ann Bremner joins us, and uh, her attorney that works with her, Delaney DiGiovanni, joins us. And so this is about a giant um, headline-grabbing settlement that you guys just won a case for, uh, Charlie and Braden Cox. And we need to rewind all the way just to bring people back up to speed. This, this story has so many tentacles, so many offshoots. Let's just reset the story very quickly, Ann. <coughs> He had a murder that happened in Utah. The family was from Washington State, and so the murderer brought the children back to the to Washington State, moved in with his pedophile father, set it up a little bit of where the beginnings of this case we're about to talk to begin. Well, thanks. Thanks for the wonderful introduction. It's always so fabulous to be on with you two, my favorites, and thanks for having Delaney, too. Yeah, you set it up correctly. He, He's a suspect in killing his wife. And the kids were witnesses. The kids were saying things, drawing things like her mom, mom's body in the trunk of the car. Remember, he said he took a two-year-old and a four-year-old camping at midnight. And his wife was with them and then disappeared. And we're talking about Josh Powell, the Josh yeah, Powell case. Yeah, Josh Powell. So then once she goes missing, his wife, he moves the kids almost immediately to Washington State, moves in with his pedophile dad, um, Stephen Powell, who's now deceased, but who was convicted of child porn possession and fourierism. And so how did these kids, Charlie and Brayden, end up with the Cox family? The police issued a, executed a search warrant at Steve Pell's house where Josh lived with the two boys, Charlie and Brayden, in connection with the murder case. And there they found a house of horrors, a noose hanging from the ceiling, a brother that ran around naked or in a diaper, a brother of Josh's, pornography on 15 computers. Um, the father was basically voyeuristic with the neighbor little girls and filling them naked in the bathroom, um, etc. So the police, law enforcement, went to CPS and said, these kids need to be removed from, from that, that um, circumstance. And so the kids were removed. 
they went into the care, custody, and control of CPS. And that's when the grandparents, our clients, were an emergency placement for those boys. And so then the horror of horror happens on Super Bowl Sunday, uh, several years ago now. And um, we'll get into some of the details as with this discussion starts. But just tell us technically from a law standpoint, and maybe Delaney, you can even jump in here, is those two children were brutally murdered. The Cox family um, have just been despondent since then. They wanted to do something. How do you even figure out what to do after such a tragedy? Their daughter's murdered, and now their two grandsons are murdered at the hand of the same man. Um, what do you do legally? Well, they because they were involved with having the kids during that time and warned CPS repeatedly that Josh would kill those kids. They knew, Ron, at that point that they were going to look at legal action. Um, and you, you guys, of course, were involved in so many ways in helping this family, including when Josh's family tried to bury Josh by the boys. And you did a wonderful fundraising for them at that time and many other times and also helping the charities in this case, like Charlie's Dinosaur and the Foundation for the Kids. But it, you, a lot of times you have to sift through records, trying to use public records requests to see what exactly went wrong. But Chuck Cox knew what went wrong because he saw it and he tried to stop it and he couldn't. Yeah. Let's back up. Delaney, you've done a lot of research on this. Tell us who Susan Powell was and what we think might have happened to Susan. What happened to her? Yeah, um, Susan Powell Cox was Josh Powell's wife and the mother. Susan Cox Powell. Susan Cox Powell was the um, mother of Charlie and Brayden. And she went missing in the desert. Like Ann said, two in the morning, Josh took the boys camping and she never came home. And police, there were ser- searches all over the desert and her body is still missing and has never been recovered. Yeah. And, and, and some people think maybe she was thrown down a mine shaft. We just, yeah. we just don't know, right? That's right. And there's been a podcast called The Cold Podcast, which has been very popular, that's explored a lot of the searches and is chronicling some of the ones even being contemplated now. Ten years, she's never been found, but the thought is she was thrown down a mine shaft and she'll never be found for that reason. So now let's go back and look at the evidence that is at Josh Powell's house, because my understanding is, Anne, that they find blood at Josh Powell's house on a piece of carpet Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the authorities there, they never arrest him. And a lot of people feel like, and I know a lot of the detectives here in Pierce County, and we'll get to Pierce County here in a moment, because it seemed I, like they're playing hot potato with this case. But, but let's stay in Utah for a minute. Did, mm-hmm. did they not? Did they not have the evidence? Did they not have the blood evidence to arrest him? There was blood evidence in the house. It was Susan's. There was a life insurance he took out in the amount of $3.5 million on her and the kids. There's a motive right there. There was a last will and testament written out by her in a safety deposit box that basically said, if anything happens to me, it's not an accident and you need to look at my husband as the perpetrator. There was the fact that Josh canceled uh, daycare checks, knowing the kids would not be going to daycare that Monday after a weekend. And there was also the fact of what the kids said, which is mom was with us, but she didn't come back. Mommy's in a mine. Mommy's looking for crystals. And then drawing a picture of their mom's body in the trunk of a car. Was there evidence? You bet there was evidence. And also, he had no explanation for you know, how this could have happened. And he put, I think it was like 400 miles on a rental car after that. Um, and there's GPS on that that we now know shows that he was driving to various dumpsters and then kind of over a bridge and a river. They're going to look there 
or at least a waterway to see if he put drop something out of the car at that point. So evidence, sure there was evidence. Yeah. So so and people feel like if he would have been arrested then, then those two boys would still be alive today. I feel that way. I, I feel strongly that way. Do a lot of people feel strongly that way? And I, did I, the authorities in Utah, did they miss it? You know, I, I think a lot of people feel strongly that way. In, in defense of Detective Maxwell, um, who testified for us in this case, Ellis Maxwell, he was the case detective, the DA in West Valley City, Utah, would not prosecute without a body. And so the detectives were hampered because only the DA can charge the case. There was also a protection order by the DA uh, through a judge that they didn't want information disseminated. So until there was a body, the indication we have at this point is they weren't willing to prosecute. Yeah. Delaney, is that pretty common that are there, are there DAs around the country that are just like, hey, if we don't have a body, even if they have evidence, even if they have blood, even if it's Susan's blood and a carpet and GPS and all these, I'm getting all worked up again. So I'm going to calm down. Oh, yeah. is it, 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 and we watch a lot of true crime. All of us do now, especially during COVID. Uh, do, do you have to have a body, Delaney? You know, you don't, um, and it's obviously harder, but you don't have to. And with all of that evidence, it's pretty crazy that um, they still couldn't arrest him with all of the evidence that there was, really. Yeah. So now, so now Josh leaves Utah. He's going to have a brand new life here in Washington State. He moves to Washington State. And he has this incredible connection with his father, Stephen Powell. And Stephen Powell loves little girls. He is a freak show times 100 million times. That guy, I'd like to just punch him in the face, but I can't because he's dead. Okay? He is dead under a doornail. And tell us about Stephen a little bit because in this case, we can see his son did not fall far from the apple tree, right? This guy is a freak show. Yeah, well, and he also had an obsession with Susan, and he said that he was in love with her, and and Josh had basically said that that he was okay with that or he didn't really challenge it. That should have been of concern to CPS. Stephen was into voyeurs and pornography uh, and everything else, and, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He was really a creepy guy, but that's where the kids live. And CPS knew that, you know, that the Josh chose to have those kids in that environment. Yeah. And, and, and Delaney, he, he just framed himself up as good old grandpa, right? This is what I do know, though. When authorities started to talk to Stephen, and at some point, he ends up getting arrested for voyeurism, uh, he had nothing to say, right? He just shut his mouth, and he just zipped his mouth, and he would not cooperate with authorities, would he? Yeah, I mean, he, 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 they hoped he would say something. Um, you can go and answer if you want, but that, that he, would, he never did say anything to help in the prosecution or help in, the, in the finding Susan or, or finding out about how she disappeared. Is it true that uh, authorities tried to go get a deathbed confession or deathbed information on Susan's body um, in the hospital and he would not even talk on his deathbed? Yeah, I, I heard that secondhand. I, I can't verify that, but you know, on behalf of the family, we were hoping every time there was a possibility that Stephen could be put in a position where he could save himself and then say something about Josh and Susan and the kids. Um, he didn't. 
When yeah. he was tried, we all went to the trial, he didn't say anything. Yeah. When he was arrested, he didn't say anything. When he was dying, as I understand it, he didn't say anything. So, so, so and I have it firsthand. That's exactly what happened. He ends up getting arrested. He's, he's, a, he's a voyeur, some little girls next door. And were you involved in that case, protecting them? I represented the little girls next door in that case. So, 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 so tell us how that all shook out with the little girls next door. Cause again, superstar Ann Bremner steps in yeah. here. Well, the little girls, um, of course were very traumatized by it. And we got a judgment against Stephen Powell. I think it was for, it was a substantial amount, 500,000 or a million because he defaulted basically. And we went in front of a judge and put on evidence from the girls about how they were damaged and got the award. We then went to his house and that made them feel really empowered because at least they did something against this horrible person that they felt empowered because they got his house. But when they got his house, what they really wanted to do was let Chuck Cox come to the house and search for Susan. And I think that was cathartic for everybody to have that power over Stephen Powell and actually to look to see was Susan there at the house, but she wasn't. Yeah. So we have Susan now and, and we, God rest her soul. And we don't yeah. know what happened but we know that, that she has crossed over the other side. We have freak show grandpa. Uh, and then we have Josh. And this is really interesting to me. De Delaney, maybe you can talk about this. He creates a home that's not even real, right? He creates this house of horrors. Mm -hmm. what, did, what did he create exactly? Because this ends up being a trap for a social worker, and it ends up being a trap, a death trap for these two these two young men. Yeah, it was, I don't, I don't believe he even lived there. It was a house specifically for the boys to go to when they were having the supervised visitation. And they went there a few times before he ultimately um, killed them and burnt the house on fire. And so he was just setting up, you know, I'm the best father. Look at this nice house. This is where, this is where they're going to be safe. And this is where I'm going to redeem myself as their father and put everything behind me. And then obviously that didn't work out for him. Delaney, did it, could a judge have said no, or are they required if the parent is around as long as they have a house is the law say that they have to have visitation, even if it's supervised or, or could a judge have looked at this and went, no, 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 not in my courtroom. We're just leaving these kids with the Cox family. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they could, the judge could deny visitation. The judge can say it can be in a secure facility. No kid has ever died in a secure facility in the state, which is where the visitation started in this case. And it's really important in this case, though, to know the judge wasn't told that visitation was moved to the house. Yeah. And people, should, the judge. yeah and people should understand this. Uh, Dr. Makovac, right? I remember him. Yeah, Dr. Makovac. Right? tried to kill his partner and also got involved in, in this case, protecting the partner. Right, uh, yeah. And I'm not going to mention the partner cause I don't want to drag things up for this family again. Right. Dr. Makovac, uh, ended up doing 20 years for trying to kill his partner. He was actually an advertiser at Cairo. And when the court allowed him though, to have visitation with his child, it's a visitation where you do that in a facility, in a secure facility. There are secure facilities all around Seattle, all around Washington State. Mm -hmm. There's yep. no reason why that if the state of Washington felt that it was very important or a family court judge felt it was very important for Josh to be able to spend some time with his boys, it should have been a secure facility yep. because that would have protected the boys. And instead, in Washington State, 
and I hope this case changes it. I hope when they write this check for $98 million, it changes it. Because guess what? Just because you had sex and just because you brought two little boys into the world doesn't mean you're a parent, doesn't mean you're a great dad, doesn't mean you're a great mom. It doesn't. And there are people all over Washington State and all of this country that deserve to have their children taken away from them, and they deserve to never, never have those children returned to them. And then when those kids get older, when they're 18, when they're 25, when they're 35, if they want to, if they want to have a connection, with mom or dad, then let them go and have that connection. But you know what? We shouldn't leave it up to six-year-olds, and we also shouldn't leave it up to family court judges to sit on a bench. Because a lot of times, you guys, to be fair to these judges, when you sit in family court, it's case after case after case after case. And what a family court attorney will tell you, a lot of times when it comes to kids, they're just trying to figure out who the parent is that's less douchebaggy and the other parent. Is that a legal term? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then they end up taking that child and they send them home. And here's what's pro- the problem with the foster system. There's so many great foster parents out there. And they give and they give and they give and they give. And they make this incredible connection with these kids. And then all of a sudden, a family court judge or Washington State decides that someone like Josh, someone like Josh, yes. has the God-given right because because – because he gave up some sperm that he has the God-given right to be a daddy to those two boys. And they always, don't they do this, Ann, in this state, they always try to recreate the family. They always try to plug these kids back in the family. And that's what got these boys killed. No, you're, you should have given the closing argument in our case, Don. <laughs> I mean, you're right. And the thing is that in a case like this, they said in the trial that their goal was to reunify families. That's what they said in their opening statement. And that's what they did in this case. They had a bias towards you know, reunification. When in fact, their tasks with safety, the number one goal of the agency is safety of the children. And that wasn't, that wasn't met in this case. Reunification is about to cost the state $98 million, but that's not enough. They got to take reunification and they have to throw that out the freaking window because you are placing young people in danger. And Ron, when you and I did terrestrial radio, we saw this push for reunification all the time, didn't we? Oh, we saw it all, all the time. And it's infuriating that it appears that this bias is so strong in Washington State that they disregard blatant evidence. Let's talk about this case a little bit. We're talking with Ann Bremner, superstar attorney, and her superstar attorney sitting next to her is Delaney D. Giovanni. Guys, um, when you just read the headline and you see the $98 million, what does that mean? How do you arrive at that number? Well, it was based on the length of time that the boys suffered and to the extent they suffered. That we had a pathologist in this case, and we said in an opening statement that there should be compensation of $5 million per minute of suffering. These kids were struck multiple times with a hatchet. Charlie was paralyzed. He couldn't even move from one of the strikes. And then, but it wasn't over then. Then their father poured gasoline into the gaping wounds, and then he set them on fire. But their brain stems were intact as the back of your brain. At autopsy, you know what that meant? They, were, they felt full pain and consciousness for the entire time. We had a timeline of how long it took based on 911 calls and other evidence that put this at about 10 minutes that they went through this and suffered. I mean, 
unbelievable suffering by both of these boys. So that number was evidence-based. The number, $98.5 million, is higher than what we asked for. Um, there was some evidence it could have been more than 10 minutes in this case, based on CAD reports and things like that. So it's evidence-based, and that's what's important, because you're not looking at just some speculation or passion or prejudice on the part of these very fine jurors. They base their verdict on the evidence and the evidence alone. Let's talk about what happened at the door, because... If I'm that social worker, I've been carrying this for years and I don't want her to carry this for years because she should have never been asked to go to the door. And this is what I want people to remember. If you want to defund the police, if you want to create a place where social workers go to doors and not people with badges and guns, this is exactly what we had here because this wasn't a police officer. So Anne, walk us through. She's, she's coming to the door. Her job is to take notes. And if something happens, goes sideways, dad acts weird, her job is to pick up the phone and call the police. She's not supposed to intervene. That's not her job. Her job is to pick up the phone and call the police. What happened at the door? She arrives at the house. Josh has his home. And now she's supposed to go in with the two boys and they're supposed to have what they call a supervised visit. And then Josh does something crazy. Right. And, and the fact, every time she took the boys to the house, the boys ran ahead of her. She put that down every time in her reports. That's how that happened on the day they died. They ran ahead of her and Josh Powell answered the door and said, I have a surprise for you to the kids. Kids ran right past him for the surprise. He slammed the door and locked it. She called her supervisor first, fumbled for her phone because she didn't have it. She had to go to her car. Then she moved her car, and, and then she called 911. So that was terrible for her. And she, she had never done a home visit before this case. Never done a home visit before this case. She's sitting in the car. We know now that Josh, and, and, I, and I think it's important, and we've been very careful other times to not share the graphic nature, but you've shared some, and I think it's important for people to know that his intention was to create horror for them yes. and to kill them with these axes. And when he didn't kill them with axes, and then he poured gasoline on them, and if you talk to officers that were there, with one of the boys, he, made the, he, he took the gasoline can and he put it right in the boy's lap. So, so these boys were asked, in a sense, to participate in blowing themselves up. So you talk yeah. about sinister. And my question is here, because Grandpa loved little boys. Did Josh love little boys? And were these boys about to tell others, and maybe Grandma and Grandpa, that, hey, Daddy's kind of weird, and Daddy's been doing some stuff. And maybe that's why Josh felt like he had to take these little boys out. That's a great point, as always. And I, I, there was a picture that, that um, Charlie drew that looks like he drew it the day that the visitation started at that house, which is November the 6th. And it had a really dark figure in a circle with a big X through it. It said, don't play with me. And it had two adults in another circle, but one had male genitalia hanging out. Um, says a lot. The picture, you know, says a lot. The other thing was the boys were running around naked at Chuck and Judy's. They said they slept naked with their dad. Um, things of that nature. So sure. And then finally, don't forget, Josh Powell's computer in Utah contained cartoon incest porn. 
mom, dad, son, daughter, incest, porn, 400 images. Yeah. So this social worker is sitting in the car. Is she the first one to see the house just completely go up in flames and blow up? Is she the first one? Yes. But Chuck testified in front of this jury that he received word that there was a fire at the house and he went there and he drove to the back of the house, which is on a main road. And he saw the fire too. And he was told at the scene that those were his grandsons inside. And that house was fully engulfed at that time. What did Chuck do? Oh my gosh. I mean, he, it was a horrible moment for him. I know he called me uh, and I, or at least I talked to him on the phone and he also talked to Steve Downing, who was his lawyer in the family law case, the dependency. And what he said to me, as far as I remember, he said, and we told him so. We, we told him so. Yeah. I talked to the police officers that walked through that scene. They all had to go to counseling. Oh, yeah. All of them. The, 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 and, the, and then there's graphic things they share with me that I'm not going to share with anyone. Ed Troyer, I think, is going to be the next uh, Eric, yeah. chief in Pierce County. Uh-huh. He, he walked through that scene. He has seen it all. Uh, and they really felt like, after walking through that scene, they needed to do something. A number of days later, after those boys were buried, we had found out through Ed Troyer and Sheriff Pastor, and also through the Cox family, that, and talk about this a little bit, mm-hmm. they were going, the family, and every time we talk about this, I, I, I hear from the family, I'll hear from the family. They will, there'll be a lot of F-bombs involved. They will, they will listen to this podcast, I will hear from them. And you know what, they can F off. So, and I've never said that before. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what the family was trying to do. They were going to bury daddy next to those boys. That was the intention, right? Right. And they, they, they wanted to use some of the insurance money, as I understand it, from the life insurance for the burial because those are expensive plots. And you guys, the Ron Adam Don Nation, like immediately – flew into action and raised all the money he needed to buy that plot that would have been by Charlie Braden. And it would be just horrific for them to be buried next to the man that murdered them so viciously. We bought 12 plots. We bought every plot that was left in the cemetery. Oh, that's great. We bought 12. We bought them all. Uh, We raised over $73,000. We bought every plot. We wanted to make sure that he could not be buried in that cemetery. And And again, I will tell you, I heard from the family. And they just heard from me a moment ago. And again, I'm sorry if that's aggressive, but that's the way I feel about them. Because uh, they've never taken responsibility for this. And they feel really sorry for themselves. So, anyway, Ron, something's pretty, pretty cool is there now. Because those graves, and though we won't celebrate the fact that children have passed away and died, but with Sheriff Pastor, Ed Troyer, the Pierce mm-hmm. County Sheriff's Department, uh, they have worked hard to provide this place where these two little boys are laid to rest. Now other children are laid to rest, right? Yeah, there's, they've erected an angel statue, and there is a day every year Well, they, they come out and we do a silent memorial at this angel statue. And if there's another child in similar circumstances to Charlie and Braden that can't afford a burial or doesn't have a spot, they now get one of these spots. And unfortunately, we've had to use 
some of these spots since the time of this particular case. And I want to talk about Chuck Cox, who I've met. He's a very quiet man, mm-hmm. but powerful. And I'm getting a little choked up because I don't know how he finds the strength uh, to go through this road. Like, I, I, I've, I felt like I've had a tough week the last week, and you kind of know why. Mm-hmm. It's nothing compared to what Chuck and Judy Cox have carried. Nothing. Um, nicest people in the world will give you the shirt off their back. Uh, you wouldn't notice them. They don't seek the spotlight. They're not loud and boisterous people. They're just salt of the earth, workmanlike. Um, he's not a money grab guy. What, what, what does he intend to do, if you know, with some of this money? And I don't think he needs to do anything with it. If he wants to take a vacation to the Bahamas, I think he should do that. But what do you know about that part of the story? Well, I can tell you, you know, he's served in the Air Force. He's a pilot. He's a um, flight instructor. He was an accident reconstruction expert for the FAA. So he's got a very investigative mind. Um, he's always been very involved in helping us put the case together in all different ways. And he's a man of faith. He and Judy are. They, um, they have faith. That's what's carried them through. And they put one foot in front of the other. What does he want to do with the money? He wants to do everything to make sure this will never happen to any other family. And that's going to include um, legislation, Charlie and Braden's law that didn't pass last time, that says if there's probable cause to believe a spouse caused the disappearance or murder of another spouse, they can't have the kids. It's just common sense. That's number one. But he also wants to go out around the country and try and help people not go through what he went through with the system. Like, how do you work in these systems to make sure kids are safe? So he's doing that, too. He's got the charities you guys have been. You were fabulous on the burial plots and the assistance to the family. And you've been fabulous in helping with the Charlie Dinosaurs, which is the um, for foster kids, backpacks and supplies for all kids in foster care. Um, Charlie and Braden Foundation, um, the Susan Cox Powell Foundation, which is now geared toward dealing with domestic violence victims mm. and trying to help domestic violence victims like the kids in this family and Susan, because murder is domestic violence, by the way, and um, kidnapping is domestic violence, um, to ensure more safety for people involved in, in these very difficult home lives. Yeah. Delaney, tell us what it was like to watch Anne. She's a bulldog. She is fearless. <laughs> It's not about money. Uh, and at the end of her days, uh, there are so many cases that I know that she's been involved in that she doesn't tell anybody about. Uh, but she is fierce. You are a young attorney, a- attorney, just getting going in this game. What did you learn from her as you're trying this case during COVID-19? There's all kinds of breaks. And she has to make sure that this jury is staying with you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to watch the trial when it started back in February and then went picked back up in July. And um, especially the last half with COVID, witnesses on Zoom, um, the fight was even harder just because of all the other implications. And watching Anne, I mean, she's a badass. And it was it, it was very, um, everyone's head pops up when she's, talking and everyone's attention is on her and um you know when motions maybe looked like they weren't going to go her way she fought with the judge to um get the result she wanted and she didn't back down until i <laughs> until the until it was like enough you know and because she's fighting for she's fighting for a family she's 
been a part of for 10 years now. And you could see that and the passion behind her words was, um, uh, you could just feel it in the room and she did rebuttal closing. And so she was the last voice you heard of the entire trial and it was moving, powerful, and she was speaking from the heart and obviously came out on top because of that. So, And take us to the moment where you're sitting there and you're waiting. Did you feel like the jury was with you? Yes. And, and did you, did you feel like this was going to go your way? Well, you know, the thing, I, the thing, when I closed the final closing argument to them, I, I, I looked at them and I said, you've got to ask yourselves, if, if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? And that was uh, a quote from Lewis, but also from Churchill, I believe. But if, you know, if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? And so I saw in them a real connection when I said that. Like, they felt they had a duty. They got it. Fabulous jury. I mean, we can't thank them enough for their service to basically be wait five months on a hiatus, five weeks before that in trial, and then two more or three more weeks in our trial. Their service and duty was extraordinary. I'm the best jury I've ever seen in my 37-year career. Did I feel that they would do the right thing? Absolutely. I'm not sure if I'd say with us, but I just knew that they would do the right thing. And of course, of course they did. And I can't help but think, even as I watch Don's son, um, these, these boys would have been graduating high school, going to prom, maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, I just, I, this has been a tough one. Yeah. Going out for sports teams, having right. your first girlfriend, having your first breakup, you know, getting your driver's license. My friend sent me a picture of his son got his driver's license today. Um, they never got to do any of that because their dad and their grandpa were a piece of garbage in the state of Washington couldn't see it. How can we make them see it? Like every kid deserves to get their driver's license and go to a school dance and have their first girlfriend. Uh, I, 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 I so agree. And it, it's, I mean, it's such an emotional case. And every time I thought, every time when I was driving down to Tacoma all the time for this trial, I, I would get this choked up thing about them. No chance at life. No, no chance at life. I mean, they, and then see their own dad as they walk in, but see their own, as I ran in to see their own dad as their attacker. It, it's just it's so beyond the pale. I, I think this verdict is important. You know, it's the highest verdict ever against DSHS, and I think it's the highest for personal injury in this in this state on, on the two um, children. Does that tell them something? Do they change? Does the governor's office get involved? Chuck's been in, trying to get in touch with the governor. Something, this has to go to the states, not just our state, to the states. The children are number one priority in these services. Safety is number one. And this can never, ever, ever happen again. And Charlie and Braden need to have a legacy, and I hope that's it. That it never happens again. But it's going to have to be through legislation, through the governor's office, and through changes within CPS that they take to heart their mission statement that they are here for the safety of our children in Washington State. Uh, Delaney, 30 seconds. Uh, your final thoughts? Um, I, I can't imagine, you know, from the start with hearing about Braden and Charlie being 
potentially there at their mother's murder is one thing. And then how they passed away is just makes it all just makes it so much worse. And um, I had the pleasure of being able to meet Chuck and Judy and they deserve everything that's coming their way. And, um, and they fought hard. They were a huge part of this Mm -hmm. trial and texting and, you know, all day, every day ideas. And so they deserve everything that they, that they have. But I want to make sure everyone knows that they're going to be using that for good, not to do Mm -hmm. anything personal. Mm -hmm. Ron, uh, let's finish with, uh, Charlie's dinosaur. Yeah, we've, uh, when we first launched this podcast, online we had some ron and on t-shirts i don't even think we we sold out of them uh but maybe i'll put a link in the show notes charlie's dinosaur was and correct me if i'm wrong it was a purple dinosaur drawing on the refrigerator and there was one a big one found in the um storage shed and ed schroyer has the original i actually have a picture of him with it if you want me to send it to you mm-hmm. of the actual larger drawing of the dinosaur by charlie and so it said Charlie on the bottom, drawing of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And so they started, uh, the, the Cox family started this, this foundation. And what they do is we, we, through donations, make backpacks that you give to law enforcement. And in that backpack is toiletries, a coloring book, mm-hmm. maybe a stuffed animal, uh, some basic necessities that will get a kid when it's the worst day of their life and they get removed from a, a situation maybe right. similar to this, that they have something uh, that they don't get placed in the foster care with a black plastic bag, like a garbage bag. They get a backpack. They have some stuff. It provides them with a little bit of comfort. And so that's one of the legacies uh, coming from this case. And so I'll put a link. I'll find the link, put it in the show notes. And if you'd like to donate uh, in the name of Charlie and Brady, if you have a grandkid, you know, and all the little trinkets and ice cream cones and everything that you buy uh, for your grandkids, you know, maybe skip one of those and give that money uh, to Charlie's Dinosaur. Yeah. I'll give my final thoughts in the, in the final segment. Uh, this is our final segment with Anna Delaney. And we'll just kind of give you the final say here. Well, bless you guys for everything you've done for the family. You guys are doing God's work. You're saints. You always have been. And I think the nation's been wonderful, but it's because they're all – they follow your lead and everything you've done for this family has been extraordinary. So including in your interviewing us now about the case. So we just can't thank you enough. I mean, it's, you've been behind Chuck and Judy every step of the way as they take one step, put one foot in front of the other. So thank you. Okay. I'm going to brag about you in the closing segment. <laughs> so I don't want you to hear it because then you're going to get a big head and that to happen. Delaney, thank you so much for being here. You got some big, big stilettos to step into. I know. I know. Brenner's a bad, bad woman. (laughs) We we share an office, too, so it's fun. We're just 24-7. Hanging out. Love it. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank Thank you for finding justice for those two boys. Thank you so much. It's the Ron and Don Show. We'll see you on the other side of this. Ron and Don from radio to real estate. When you're ready to grab a cup of coffee and sit down with the guys, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. There you go, you guys. Uh, that's episode uh, 148. Ron, you got you got pretty emotional during 148. Yeah, you know what? I was I was messaging with my friend Michael, who you know today, 
uh, a, a good buddy of ours from when we worked in California. He texted me a picture of his son who got his temporary driver's license. And so this is uh, a guy that I knew before he had a son. And so to watch in the same way that, you know, we're watching your son grow up, all of the milestones. Uh, the first time his son went to grade school. My uh, son just got his, uh, he's driving buses and semis. <laughs> exactly. He's only 10. His CDL license. Yeah. And, and so I, I was thinking, that was sort of fresh in my mind that we were kind of going, oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, he got his driver's license. And we made the jokes that you make when someone's kid gets a driver's license. And so then when I, when I knew we were doing this interview, I started thinking about Charlie and Braden. And I was like, all of the rites of passage that I've watched uh, with Michael's son, all the rites of passage that I've, I've uh, watched with your son, they didn't get any of those. And if ever there was just a blatant situation, anyone could see this. You didn't have to be a judge. You didn't have to be uh, in law enforcement. You need some sort of special training to go, dude is the number one prime suspect in his wife's murder. Grandpa's a voyeur with child pornography on the computers. Maybe we shouldn't give this guy any parental rights. Maybe grandma and grandpa, who have given them stability, who uh, their grades have gone up, their emotional health has gone up, their physical health has gone up, their attendance in school has gone up, uh, they've begun to sleep through the night. All of the indicators saying they're in a stable environment, maybe that should have been the choice. And so the fact that it wasn't, it just it made me emotional um, to think about everything that they missed out on, the life that they uh, didn't get to live. And then also the trials and tribulations of Chuck and Judy Cox. Like, I, I haven't had the smoothest of a couple weeks, but I, in comparison to them, this has been nothing. Mm. This has been absolutely nothing. The tragedy they've had to, to shoulder and the fact that they've chosen to pivot and say, we want to help other people. We're not going to crawl into a hole and say, uh, you know, just lick our wounds for the rest of our lives. Their retirement was taken away from them with tragedy. Um, they, they put in their, their working careers, deserve to go to on vacation, to travel, to have a life of ease. Mm-hmm. And yet they've chosen to say, we're going to sue the state of Washington. We're going to win. Uh, and then we're going to take that money and try to do good so that other grandparents don't have to go through the same BS that we went through. When they, they said loud and clear, something bad is going to happen. And then what happens? Something very, the worst thing happens. Yeah. And it's not like nobody knew about it. Everybody knew except for the state of Washington. Yeah. Something bad happens to you. I personally had to call Ann Bremner a number of times uh, just for things in my own private life. And she's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And you may think your case is too small. Someone took Charlie over a year ago. And I've never shared that before. Someone stole their family dog. And we had to go get it back. And guess who got Charlie back? It was Ann Bremner. You were tempted to call me and we would do like a high-speed heist. Yeah. But then we got the better, wiser of it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, whether it's getting $98 million for this family or somebody took your family dog, uh, Ann Bremner's go-getter. Ambremner.com is her website. And she hasn't asked us to do this. I'm just sharing this with you. Uh, Chief Carmen Best. She's really going through it right now. Guess who she called? Ann Bremner, right? Yeah, she is amazing. She's an amazing advocate, a great listener. And she uses her law degree and her skills 
for good. And she doesn't try to settle. She will take something she really believes in it. She will take it to trial. This case, she didn't try to settle it. She took it right to trial because she knew she was right. And it wasn't just about the money award. It was about changing the way we look at reunification in Washington state and the way that we look at unification around the country. Because just because you donated some sperm doesn't mean that you should be a dad. And in this case, this guy had no business being a daddy to those two amazing boys. All right. Our thanks to Ed Troyer and Sheriff Pastor in Pierce County for everything that they've done for this family. Um, and they are the ones that told us about those grave sites. They are the ones that created uh, and helped create Charlie's Dinosaur. The reason they created it is because their police officers there have been through so much trauma. They wanted to do something good just for their own mental health. So and thanks to all the, the, the officers, and you brought them up in the segment, we, we know some of the people that had to work that case. It was not easy. Uh, they had to go home to their wife and kids and families and figure out a way to deal with the trauma of that crime scene. Um, so there's a lot of heroic men and women in that department that were called upon to do the right thing. And that was yeah. that was not an easy detail. And I'll just finish. This was very unfair to that social worker to put this on her. I hope she does not carry this. She shouldn't. There should have been a police officer there. And you know what? There should have never been a home visit anyway, right? So next time you think about defunding the police, maybe we rethink the police. But who would you send it in a case like this? I think someone with a badge and a gun. Not someone who's just a great social worker. And there's certainly room in our police departments for great social workers, too. All right? Hey, you guys. Thanks for listening to episode 148. If you need Ann Bremner, reach out. AnnBremner.com. You see her on CNN a lot. And then also, uh, just reach out to her on Facebook. She's very, very active. And she'll be glad to answer any questions you might have. If someone takes your family dog, reach out to Ann Bremner. All right. He's Ron. I'm Don. You've been listening to the Ron and Don Show. Keep your head up, your shoulders back. And we will see you. For episode 149. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.